Uh, This is from Paul's letter to the Galatians in uh, chapter 4, where he says, But when the time had fully come, God had sent his son, born under a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law and receive them into adoption as sonship. And because you are a son of God, God sends his spirit into your heart, the spirit of Jesus into your heart, which cries out, Abba, Father. Because you are a child of God, you are no longer a slave. And if you are a child, then you are also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The story is told of Rabbi Levi, who is standing on the edge of town one day, and a young man rushes past him. And he said, young man, why are you running? And he said, I am running after my good fortune. And Rabbi Levi responded quickly. He said, young man, your fortune is running after you if you would just slow down long enough for it to catch you. When I think about that story, I think a lot about my life. A lot of my life has been spent running, not running after good fortune so much, but running after some sort of sense of of my value and of my worth. Running to prove myself to myself and to God and, and to anybody else who would be watching. And so I've run my life to impress other people. Whether it was uh, by achievements in uh, school, whether grades or athletics, or even worse, and I can say this since my children are grown, they're not here this morning, even through my children's achievements, you know, trying to, to prove myself in some way. I suspect it's part of the reason also that I became a pastor because, you know, when I became uh, into seminary in the late 70s, I, the sense I had was, well, everybody likes pastors. Yeah, I've been disabused of that notion over the years. Don't worry. (laughs) Trying to impress others. And then also running to try to impress God. Look, God, what I've brought you today. Look at these achievements. Look at this church. A little bit like uh, our cats who, who bring presents to the back door, a lizard or something else, or a snake that they've found in the yard. I sort of haul that in front of God and say, look, look what I have done for you Don't you love me now? The Bible says quite clearly that what I'm doing is living like a slave. A slave, said Paul, has no sense of belonging in the house. And so there's always the fear that they may not belong. So there's always the effort through uh, manipulation or, or control to try to make a place for yourself in the house because you really don't feel like you have one. Uh, you, you can call that in the terms of Paul living like a slave. Others have called it living like an orphan. Like you really didn't have a home. The orphan's mantra is not unlike Private Ryan, who at the uh, graveside of Captain Miller at the end of the movie, uh, turns around and looks at his wife and says, Tell me I was worth it. Tell me I was a good man. And his wife seems a little confused by that request. And, of course, those of us who have watched the whole movie understand that request. But those of us who live our lives as orphans in the house of God trying to prove ourselves and make a place, we understand that question best of all. Living like an orphan. Living like a slave. And I've been doing that 
I've been doing that a long time and running that way. And I have to tell you, I'm kind of tired of running. I feel a little bit like I'm running on empty. Do you know how hard it is to impress people? I mean, really. I mean, people are fickle. You, they might be impressed by one thing, but, but not so impressed by something else. I think Duffy Darty hit it right on the head. I've told you before, the, the late coach of Michigan State football back in the 60s and early 70s, they once asked him what the worst thing was about being a college football coach, and this was his response. I am responsible to irresponsible people. And I think all of us can say that in our own life with, with some degree of truth, that we answer to people who, well, quite frankly... They're no more worth answering to than we are. I remember a friend of mine in small group summed it up uh, pretty good one day. We were having a discussion about this. And he said, well, so let me get this straight. He said, I'm spending my life, or we are spending our lives, trying to impress people who are just as messed up as we are. I go, yeah, that's pretty much what it looks like. Running to impress others doesn't work. I mean, they're, they're fickle, and quite frankly, they're not God. And the acceptance that counts and means most in life is the acceptance of God. Uh, the late Henry Nouwen put it this way. He said, you always have to be careful that you're not trying to get first love, he said, from second love sources. First love is the love that God has for us in Christ. The love that says to us what was said to Jesus at his baptism, you are my child, with you I'm well pleased. And when you try to get that sense of acceptance from your spouse, your neighbors, your boss, you're asking them for something they simply cannot give you, he said. Because they're second love sources, and if you don't have the primary sense of love and acceptance in your own life, in Christ, there's nothing that they can give you that's going to fit in that space. So it gets tiring when you try to run to impress people. It gets even more tiring when you try to run and impress God. I mean, first of all, what are you going to bring God that's going to be impressive to God? You know, I've thought about that before. You know, I can just see God in the heavens having a discussion. God saying, well, look, over there, there's the rings of Saturn. And, and over there, well, there's the platypus. And then, yeah, that was a nice sermon David preached last Sunday. I mean, it just, it doesn't add up. The creator of the universe. You know, at Christmas time, we wonder, what do you give the person who has everything? Well, the bigger question might be, what do you give to the person who makes everything? What, what do you bring? And if you try to bring something to the back door and say, look what I've done for you just doesn't quite get there. When have you done enough for God? Running to impress people is, is pretty much an empty venture. Running to impress God is, it, well, it even makes less sense. And because the fact of the matter is, God's not looking to be impressed by us. I think sometimes we expect stuff from ourselves that even God does not expect. I think sometimes we set for ourselves standards uh, of, for, for acceptance and worth that are even higher than what God has who loves us in Christ as if we were Jesus himself. 1 John 4 says this, that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Now that's my translation of 1 John 4, but you can look it up. And I think sometimes I'm harder on myself than even God is on me. So I have to tell you, my resolution for 2012 is pretty much the same as the resolution I had for 2011 which is to stop running, to stop trying to impress God, stop trying to impress other people, and begin to live as a child in God's house, to begin to receive the inheritance in the place that God has for me, rather than trying to manipulate and control things to make uh, what God has for me. 
In other words, we can try to arrange for our life to the best of our ability and beat our head against a wall. Or we can receive the life that God has ready to give us. For the coming year, I, I think, again, I'd like to choose to receive what God has for me than to see what I can somehow wring out of God and wring out of other people. It's time to stop running. It's time to start receiving. Now, one of the difficulties about this is it naturally implies a downsizing of sorts. I no longer see the whole universe running through me. And I began to understand my proper place in the world. Jean Venier once said this. He said there are two calls to every person. He said the first call is the call to be a part of the kingdom of God. To be a part of what God's doing in the world. And he said it's a, it's a great call. And when you accept that call, people applaud you. And they send you off with great energy and excitement to go out and bring in the kingdom of God. And then Veneer says, then there's that second call where you realize you can't do anything great for the kingdom of God. You can't bring it in by yourself. And the second call is just to live humbly and faithfully in the part of the world that God has given you, doing what God has given you to do. That second call, nobody cheers. That second call, you don't get to plant a flag. The second call is the hard one, but it's the call, I think, of a son or a daughter in God's family. Not to run, but simply to walk as a child of God, doing what God has called us to do, where God has put us, to do it. In the coming year, I want that for me. I want that for this church. I've noticed for me a, dis a disturbing trend in North American Christianity. And maybe it's just because I'm not on the cutting edge of it that it disturbs me. But the trend is this. Pastors who are bigger than Jesus and churches that are bigger and more important than the kingdom of God. It's what one writer's called the church in North America is a church on steroids. And we've all lived through baseball. We've all lived through football. And we know what's on steroids. It's not real. We have to downsize ourselves into loving God, loving others, and serving the world as best we can where we are. Why? Because God asks us to do it. And, not, and because we no longer have to prove ourselves to God or to anybody else. Father Brendan Manning has said this, and I, I chant it over and over to myself often, which is, we must radically redefine ourselves as the beloved of God. If we're going to be the people of God in this world, we have to radically redefine ourselves as God's children. Not people who are on the way to becoming something God wants. And not people who uh, maybe with a long shot might please God or make some sort of difference. But people who by their very existence are pleasing to God. And because God wants this world to be better, we work where we are to make it better in that way. I've been here 17 years and I bet I've told you the story five times. It's worth telling a sixth. Because if it's not your story, it's at least mine. The story comes from Parker Palmer. Uh, an educator, an author, university professor, a Quaker. And one day he gets an invitation from a search committee to become uh, the president of a university. And so like um, 
Quakers often do, he calls together what's called a clearness committee. And it's just uh, uh, brothers and sisters, and their job isn't to tell you what to do, but to ask you questions so you can figure out what God wants you to do. So they start asking the questions, and the first one they say is, Parker, what would you like about being university president? And he said, well, let's see, I wouldn't like the fundraising. I, I wouldn't like that I'm not going to get to teach as many classes. And they said, well, what would you like? And he said, well, I wouldn't like the, the raising of money. And so they said, well, no, no, the question was, Parker, what would you like? And he said, well, I guess I'd like to see my picture in the paper with the caption underneath that says university president. And so one of the clearness committee offers this and says, Parker, can't you think of an easier way to get your picture in the paper? <laughs> what if, what if we were a church that didn't need our picture in the paper? What if we were Christians who didn't need our name in anybody's paper? What if we knew the truth of the prophet Isaiah who says that God has our very name written on the palm of God's hand? What if we were people who preferred the palm to the paper?